All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksicles? That's a summer one. I just decided on it. How's it going? Today on the show, I talked to Vanessa Hollingshead. Vanessa Hollingshead and I go way back. Way back to New York, back in the day. She was, she's a little younger than me, and I remember her starting out. She started after me, but she made like a very big impact. Uh, like She was very, uh, did a lot of big character stuff, a lot of like, I thought she was going to be like the new Lucille Ball. She just had a lot going on, and then I, I, I didn't hear from her or see her for a long time. I'd heard weird stuff. I didn't know what was happening with her. I was uh, recently going through my memory checking in with everybody I once knew in my mind. I think I'd gotten an email from somebody who had been on a ship working with her. She does com- comedy on boats now. And I was just curious as to how, you know, you know, what happened to her life? You know, is she okay? What's she doing comedy-wise? I mean, she used to, uh, she was married to um, to the owner of the comic strip, not the owner, the guy who booked the comic strip, Lucian Hold, for years, and he passed away. I just... It was one of those stories where I'm like, where where did that woman go? And she's been out there working, doing a lot of cruise ships and stuff, but it's a very harrowing tale of uh, comedy. It's one of those ones, and it was great to see her, and I'm glad we caught up. So that's going to happen in a minute. You're going to hear it. I also, I, I know that... Uh, I, want, I got a couple of emails about the uh, Hawaii volcano statements I made the other day. One of them... Uh, you know, helping out and the other one saying like, could you shut up? Tourism is our most important industry in Hawaii. All right. If people want to play golf in the lava, let them play golf in the lava. Who are you to ruin a luau in the lava? Wait, why are you getting all upset? You don't want to scuba dive in hot, steamy, sulfuric acid, air, water. Come on. Just because you're a pussy. I'm sorry. Is it not good to use that word? Just because you're a, a, a weenus doesn't mean other people don't want to enjoy the nice healing effects of freshly uh, boiled lava water while they're snorkeling. All right, so let's talk about volcanoes for a minute. I, I made some jokes I just did on this show again, and I told you I did get one email from someone just saying, you know, take it easy. The volcanoes on a small part of the island, it's not having a tremendous effect on most of the island, and we re- require tourists. There is the email, subject line volcanoes. Hey, Mark, I'm Jeremy, and I love the podcast, and I thought the David Harbor episode was great. I'm not trying to correct you. I guess I thought you would like to know about the two kinds of volcano eruptions that can occur. Simply put, volcanoes like the Hawaiian Islands ooze lava slowly and constantly over many, many years, building islands while at it. Lava rarely gets more dangerous than persons walking away could deal with. The other kind, like that of Vesuvius, the one that caused the famous Pompeii disaster, are much more dangerous. They are called pyroclastic volcanoes and build pressure inside until it actually explodes with ash, gases, and bits of solid rock. All burning, very hot, and the pyroclastic clouds are sometimes over a hundred miles an hour. Volcanoes like Hawaii will never explode with deadly gases, and volcanoes like Pompeii will never dribble lava. Cool, right? Just another reason you'll find a cool correlation of where the different kinds are. Loved your show, Marin. Love Glow. I've got a crush on Allison, but you are my favorite on the show. And the podcast is my favorite thing to listen to twice a week on my crappy ride to my crappier job. Keep fighting. The good fight, man. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for clearing up the, vol- the volcano question. 
Yeah, I, I think that's interesting, though, that, that that perhaps if there are going to be fatalities or many fatalities from the Hawaiian volcano, it'll just be people like going, come here, dude, just get closer. Get the picture. I'm going to do a selfie with the lava. Oh, you can't really see it. Hold on. Oh, fuck. Yeah, something like that. Right? Something like that. Uh, also, you mentioned the David Harbor episode, which I enjoyed very much. Oh, see, this is the interesting thing, is I do a long conversation with David Harbour, and we talk candidly about uh, struggles with mental illness, his uh, being a little more extreme than mine, him talking about hospitalization, about medication, and being sort of uh, open about it, which gets attention both in a good way and a bad way. Like, it, it's very m- helpful to destigmatize mental illness and talk candidly about it. I've been doing it here for years, and many of my guests have as well. But the, the issue is, is it's not going to bother David at all. He doesn't mind, but the clickbait fucking cancer spreaders, the malignant clickbaitists, let's just call them that. I mean, you know, it's just like they just everywhere. Harbor and mental institution, harbor and mental hospital, uh, harbor, quote, I was committed to a mental asylum. It's just like just shit tons of clickbait taken out of context. Even if people don't read that article, which many people don't, they just you know, glance past it and then make mental note of the clickbait and bring it up somewhere else and talk to somebody else who doesn't know shit about it, takes it out of context and actually does the exact opposite of what we did on the show. It sort of stigmatizes mental illness because of the sordid approach of the attention-grabbing garbage headline. Some of them were thorough in the way they covered the episode, but many just wanted people to plant that in their head. Just the malignant meme machine. And I, you know, I'm guilty of taking that stuff in. I mean, hearsay is, uh, in a lot of ways, you don't, you don't even realize it's, you know, it's, it's sticking in your brain until you go, oh yeah, I heard that uh, he was in a mental hospital. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that article. Did you read it? Nah, but it must be, you know, he must be, he must be sick or what. It's just everyone's guilty of it. It's just a shame that. One of the things that I do here, one of the things that many people don't have time to do anymore, don't make time to do, is talk long enough and thorough enough and and uh, you know emotionally connected enough to sort of move through a lot of uh, human problems, human issues, uh, human interests and excitements. Uh, you know the process of people and how they live their life, uh, and it just can be minimized to garbage in seconds by somebody who claims to be a journalist. What kind of people are those going to become what kind of people that are just these strange predatory bottom feeding maybe college graduates who whose job it is working at whatever web publication they work at to to sort of take something crunch it down rip it out of context and think of a a, a kind of cracky little headline for it um where do they go on to what's their big future is that where they stop do they call themselves journalists and in an era where Journalism could have it really has been phenomenal. The type of real work that journalists do. What do the quick betas think of themselves? Do they think they're heading in that direction where they might actually do something thorough and honest and probing and uh, you know answering all the journalistic questions with all the scope of uh, of what is necessary to create a good piece of journalism? Or are they just going to be Marin shits on journalism? I just wrote a piece for them, but it is it is disconcerting and sad that the cultural dialogue continues to digress to we're just going to be, you know, just angry apes spewing bits and pieces, fragments of larger stories. 
completely out of context, just blathering down the street, gurgling things. Trump! Lava! Porn star! Golf! I went to Ikea to get curtain rods, and I ended up buying a large patio umbrella. That's the kind of thing that can happen there. I just need some, uh, I just need a container for my thing. Oh, look what I got. Everything's so cheap, it's just disposable. Got a large patio umbrella that I don't even know. The, The great thing about so much that is made today, if you can accept it, is that when you buy it and you take it out of the box and you put it together, the first thought you have is, look at that piece of garbage. Looks okay, but it's really garbage. And you just wait for it to become actual garbage. So did I tell you a a little bit about me and uh, Vanessa's history, but uh, it was interesting to talk to her because I hadn't seen her in a long time and she has been through quite an ordeal and she did come out uh, on the other side of it and she is working and she's doing, you know, I've only talked to a couple of ship comics and uh, it's an interesting life, an interesting world, but her journey all the way from childhood through to where she is now, I had no idea. I had no idea the depth and scope of uh, what she'd been through and uh, where she'd been in the last few years and what she's been doing because she was she's one of those comics that was like the, she's a, she was about to happen about to happen and just a series of events shifted the trajectory of her life this is me talking to uh Vanessa Hollingshead I should mention that uh, she also she had laryngitis when she was here that was bad timing so if you go see her doing stand-up in New York or on the road uh, it's likely she will not sound like this so, so this is me and Vanessa Hollingshead so what do you do um, like who's that guy out there my friend Jeff, he actually... Oh, he's just a buddy of yours? He lives out here? When I got my first development deal, yeah, he wrote the show, and yeah. then I turned down the Drew Carey show, and that was to cost me... That, and I remember Lucian said, well, you might have shot your last wad, honey, and you might never get another chance, but just get really funny. <laughs> Great. Thanks, pal. Like, Thank you, Lucian. Well, I mean, uh, what I, I I don't know what you've been doing, but I do remember there was a time where we were all sort of, where, where did you come from? Where did you, because I remember that you got some big opportunities, just like you were saying, Drew Carey Show and whatever, and we can talk about that. But I remember there was a time, when did you start doing comedy? I did comedy in 92. I had 92. No, I was trained to be a Shakespearean actress. Well, where did you grow up? New York City and then in England. My dad actually brought LSD into the country and gave it to Timothy Leary. Your dad so, was the guy who did that? Yeah, he was the what, guy that did that. But was he a scientist or a, phys- a no. chemist or no, drug he dealer? Was, he was a drug <laughs> addict, alcoholic. But was uh, he a drug advocate? I mean, at that time, I mean, yes. LSD was sort of had uh, had uh, supposedly you know, mystical qualities. What was his trip? Did, did, did he live long? Do you remember him? Uh, yes, I remember him. He... Um, he believed, him and Tim Leary yeah. and Bill W., believe it or not, Bill W. was experimenting with LSD. They had the Concord prison experiment. Bill they, W. from AA. From AA. That people got upset with he was taking acid because I was like, um, if you took acid for yeah. one day, did you lose your sobriety? And they were like, yes. But I'm like, but Bill W. took it. Like, well, they're upset He was with trying it. to cure alcoholism. Yes. And he noticed. <laughs> he, and I wanted to see God. Yeah. Um, 
But he, in the end, he said, you can, and same with Baba Ram Das. Baba Ram, I actually took LSD by accident when I was five. Really? Yes. And Baba Ram Das, what's He his? gave me the shot of Thorazine, Richard Alpert. Yeah, Richard Alpert. He was hanging out. So your dad was in New York City, or was this in London? No, my dad was in New York. He was, um, he got the LSD from Albert Hoffman. In, he got in, from from England, Switzerland. From Switzerland. The original LSD. It's LSD. It's called LS Lysergic Delinamethide Acid 25 because the 25th batch, this, you know, Albert Hoffman was just yeah. experimenting and um, he sneezed, breathed. It's from the ergot from a rye seed. Yeah. Just sneezed, went on his nose. He was bicycling through the streets of, of Basel, Switzerland and the next time he was fl- stripping his brains out. Yeah. So he got that was LSD-25, right. got it to Huxley, who was writing The Doors of Perception. Right. My dad was friends with Huxley. So your dad's from England. From England, yeah, from Darlington. And How was he in with Huxley and all these guys? Because he was a writer. Okay. And my dad wrote the book, The Man Who Turned On The World. And then my dad, Leary, got all the credit. Was that a successful book? It was pretty successful. They knew him in England, and he gave LSD to Paul McCartney. Um, and in then, England. In England. And Paul McCartney, and they were getting the book, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Yeah. So there's a song on the Beatles called Tomorrow Never Knows. Yeah. Because I know my dad wanted to meet John Lennon. Yeah. And he only could meet Paul. I'm sure he was like, well, you know, I mean. I'll take Paul. I'll take Paul. I really want John, <laughs> but Paul will do. Who knows? Um, he thought John would enjoy the acid more. I think he'd enjoy John more because sure. John was more of a rebel and my yeah. dad yeah. was a rebel. Yeah. And um, so they got, he got the Tibetan Book of the Dead to John and Tomorrow Never Knows was inspired from taking LSD. All right, so then your dad comes here and what, he's hanging out up at the mansion? In- no, this is early 60s. Right. He's already, they got the acid early 60s. Yeah. It was this, right before the summer of love when everything exploded. But my dad, my dad had to get this acid to somebody, and Tim Leary was now exper- Tim Leary was a psychologist at Harvard, and he was experimenting oh, so was with, with blue blood. Well, he was yeah. experimenting with psilocybin mushrooms, yeah. and my dad was such a conniver. He was very shrewd. He could meet anybody. Yeah, and uh, someone said Huxley said, "Meet this chap, Tim Leary." Yeah. So he goes to meet Tim Leary, and he threatens to kill himself. And Tim Leary said, I think he's a sociopath. And my dad said, you've got to try this LSD. Yeah. It'll run, it's nothing like your magic mushrooms. Yeah. And um, he was smart. He was a real ladies' man. So Flo Ferguson was Maynard Ferguson's wife. The so trumpet said, player? Yes. Yeah. So he said, can, can you put me up? You know, I came all the way. And Tim wanted to be nice, and Tim was like, just yeah. get rid of the guy. And <laughs> the annoying British guy with, yeah, the, with the chemical. That I think is a sociopath. Yeah. something off about him. But Tim was a psychologist, yeah. so he knew. And so, so he was right? Yeah, I had I had the joy of having him as a father. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but were you born at this point? Yeah, I was born in 1960, right, when all this stuff was happening. And at five was when they had Millbrook Mansion. And five Millbrook, was when, upstate New York. When they put the LSD on the sugar cubes, yeah. and my mom wouldn't let me have any candy, and I just 
kept eating the sugar cubes. So okay, so your dad turns uh, uh, Leary on, and Leary, I guess, changes his mind about your dad. Well, Flo Ferguson, my dad gets a hold of Flo Ferguson. Yeah. that's in the house in Cambridge. Right. And this is the house where all these people are yeah. hanging out, coming and going. Richard Alpert and right. that whole bunch. Right. Yeah. And Tim is, I think, working at Harvard. Yeah. And Flo says. Tim, you got to try this stuff. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. He loved flow. Yeah. So he takes the acid and he's like, you know what? I think I was, man, I think I was wrong about you. Yeah. I think this yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. You seem and great. They, you, this and is, your hair is electric. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. They called him the divine rascal. That's what your dad was? He was called divine rascal. So he kind of followed that crew up to Millbrook and, and you followed up to Millbrook and then you got dosed when you were. Well, my mom, I my mom didn't know what to do with me. She was very upset. She she was actually. But the she's very not funny British. One. She was American. She said, "When I met your father, I hated all men, and after I married him, I hated everybody." <laughs> <laughs> what she do? Was the, she was his secretary, and she was she met my dad at Oxford University Press, and. She just wanted to be a mom. Yeah. She was madly in love with him. Yeah. And he was a bit of a player. So um, that marriage went south. And my dad- How quickly though? How old were you? Like one. And he was already seeing other women. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was. And I have a stepsister and a stepbrother and- So when you, why were you, if he, he was off and running, why were you in New York? You Was he, were you in his custody or? My mom wanted to set up. I'm putting Vanessa up for adoption. I can't yeah. take care of her. And my dad said, "Bring her to let her have some fresh air in the country. Uh-huh. The country will do her good." And there was hippies, rooms, Millbrook Mansion. Fi- yeah, there was rooms filled with. They would experiment. They would take an iguana and a rabbit and a monkey and give them all acid. See how they did. And a you, baby. And a baby. <laughs> yeah, one or two babies. You? Candy. Yeah. Well, what, so you're up there, and, and how old are you at that moment? Five. You're five, so you have vague memories? or No, I remember, like, something was really wrong that day, but we had a... There was the a day trample. you took the, the acid? The day I took the acid, I remember, like, I was jumping... My dad was now seeing this woman, Britta, and I remember I used to love the trampoline. I was, yeah. And I remember jumping up and down on the trampoline... And all of a sudden, I just saw fluorescent worms everywhere. And, my, I re, and I remember going to see my dad, and I started screaming for Britta. And we had Alex. I yeah. think Alex was Maynard Ferguson's son. We both saw the same thing. And I remember she grabbed me in one hand and Alex in the other. And I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, look at the pictures ripping. Look at my nails getting smaller. And my dad was like, oh, fuck, she got into the acid. Yeah. And he didn't know how many trips I took because yeah. they used to leave it on sugar cubes so he said um, I said do you remember what happened that day he goes I remember I drove you for like must have been 12 hours and you just said look at the purple trees and I was mortified <laughs> that you might have brain damage oh and so he cared yeah I was like well thanks dad thank you and then he um, then he got me to Richard Alpert had a little shack in Millbrook Mansion, mm-hmm. and I and he was just coming into his I think homosexuality. It was yeah. very taboo, and Richard Alpert had like a bag of tricks, and just I remember getting the shot of Thorazine. I remember like I I my dad. I remember my dad picking me up like this, and the shot, and I was out, and that was it. Wow! So and they just knocked you out, knocked and, me right and, out, and you processed it. You woke up. You were okay. 
Yeah, it was great. I just became a comedian, had nothing but dysfunctional relationships afterwards and hated myself. Yeah, no, it worked out great. <laughs> that, so the, you trace it back to that. Well, I mean, that. so you're five then. So what is, how do you grow up? You grow up with him or why did your mother uh, think she couldn't take care of you? She was starting to come a little bit unglued. I be, ended up being in and out of many foster homes. You did? Yeah. And my dad was now... They were starting to crack down on Millbrook Mansion. That yeah. was the introduction of MK Ultra and the CIA. So they took the acid. They they, they, they got hold well, of. Well, Gordon acid. Liddy, remember Gordon Liddy surrounded, yeah. uh, and then Gordon Liddy and Leary ended up being on tour. Like they did a comedy show together. But you, once acid was introduced uh, and the CIA got into, a hold of it, they started to do the experiments to yeah. see what it was. They wanted to be truth here. Now this was now my dad. Um, my dad ended up going back to England because he wanted to take, he was going to be the London affiliate. Yeah, so of MK was, Ultra. No, no, of the LSD oh, okay. when all this was happening. So he and he had 25 hours, I think the CIA said, you either tell us what you know, you have 24 hours to get out of the tr country. Yeah. So he got it, when he got back to England, he started to get addicted to methamphetamine. My dad had a really bad, he had untreated alcoholism and methamphetamine issues. So he got addicted to the methamphetamine. This is when he gave um, Paul McCartney the LSD. Yeah. And for two roaches, got sentenced to 16 years in Wormwood. Does that sound like a Dickens? Yeah. Yeah. Wormwood sure. prison. Um, and he decided to be his own lawyer uh, And w when he was high on acid. And it got him another like six months. Uh -huh. the, he heard the police getting ready to come, and you know in England you have the, you flush the loo, and there's two. Yeah. Flush the loo, and the two roaches joints came up from the ba oh, bathroom, yeah. and the and the police officer's like, "Well, what seems to be here? Looks looks to be two yeah. marijuana roaches." And then my dad said. Well, isn't that where they belong? In the toilet. <laughs> and that just <laughs> that was it. cost him. Yeah. So he went to jail for a while. 16 months. And you, uh, and then that's when he started going into foster homes? or? Well, I was going in and out of them. At two, my mother put me up for adoption. Then three, I was back with her. Then four, I was with her somewhere else. Then five, a little bit at Millbrook. Did she have mental problems? No, she was completely sane. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like... <laughs> Like, what was her trip? I mean, she just couldn't Oh, I don't know what her trip was. She was, Is she still alive? No, she died in eight. She died uh, six years ago. We, it was the first time we were close. She, I was kind of like her mom. Yeah. And my mother was, was, like, was like Blanche Dubois, uh -huh. but on drugs. My mother had gotten brutalized in Bed-Stuy. She'd gotten beaten. She'd gotten raped. Uh, and I was going to school, and I was trying to... And that's when I used to listen to music, the Beatles. Yeah. And pretend, you know, if Paul or John marries me, I'll be out of this. And your father was in jail or you just weren't talking to he him? He was in jail and no one knew. And my mother was so angry at him. She made sure we, he eventually found me, hired a detective, uh -huh. found me in Cambrai Island and yeah. then lived on the commune. I mean, it was just a lot of- What commune? I lived in Dawes Hill Commune, got his girlfriend. He was now running the Free High Church in Cambrai Island, giving LSD. Where is that? That was off the island coast of Scotland. Oh, wow. Island, okay. Giving LSD to... Um, oh, so he was really doing the 60s. He, was he never the got over the... I, said, I yeah. said, Dad, the 60s are gone. Yeah. 
They're done. Yeah. You need to move on. Was he like the guru of this island? Was he like, was it a cult situation? It wasn't a cult situation. He just so believed in, him and Leary were idea, were, were idealists. Yeah. They believed if everyone could take LSD, they would see God and the world would be a better place. Yeah. And I said, but you're having a lot of crazy people and young people that don't have a shot living in Harlem and living in, in in tenements yeah. without a shot, they're taking LSD yeah. and they're not getting the same vision. Yeah. You can control this substance yeah. with cute, blonde, hippie women that yeah. you can have sex with and lots of good food and great things to yeah. read. I said, not everyone has that opportunity. You said that to him? Yeah. He said, shut the fuck up, you straight fucking shit. I mean, he would just get so angry at me. And if I How had old a, were you when you were saying that stuff to oh, him? Oh, like, like 12. Oh. 12, 13. Oh, my God. So you, but, like, what were the foster homes like? I mean, what was that? Oh, they were awful. They yeah. were awful. But, but the just, one the one home, thank God this woman, I was, I lived at 410 Central Park West when I was two, when, and when I was three, and Gracie, my best friend, was two. Her mother noticed that I would run around with no very little clothes on and she said you used to knock on people's doors and I don't have any recollection asking people for food you'd always be entertaining and you became good friends with my little daughter Gracie and Gracie and I to this day we're still best friends really? I mean we've got this like it's beyond sisters like her mother saved my life and always said I will always take care yeah. of Gracie but her mother said I'll never forget like going over to your mother's place and I'd missed a lot of school and we were in bed now and my mother had like her teeth knocked out and and I would have to go visit her and I didn't know what would take place yeah. and then I had been brutalized. Um, I remember like, and this is when I just believed that there's gotta be some God. I remember the, this gang of kids broke in and I was like, you know, eight and um, I remember they just broke in and I just was just like praying nothing would happen to me. And, and they said, where's the money? And I said, it's on the refrigerator. And it was just like 35 cents. And yeah. they went, oh shit. And they threw the change on the floor and they just walked out. And I remember thinking something has got to be looking out for me. And, but Big Ray said, you would miss almost six months of school, you were gonna put you in a foster home and you were too sensitive, you never would, no, a reform school, you never would have lasted. Yeah. So she took me in and she changed Gracie's my entire life. Gracie's mom changed my entire life. She was German and I remember reading about the Holocaust and you know, just reading about this and I said, came home from school, I'm like, why did you yeah. kill six million Jews? Yeah. She was like, oh, we did not kill six million Jews. I mean, Hitler was Austrian, yeah. we're German. Uh -huh. He did that, so I was like, <laughs> yeah. right. oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, we had, they, we had nothing yeah. to do with it. We had, yeah. nothing, we had nothing to do with that. Sure, uh, so okay, so that, and that's where you primarily grow up with her family? For one year. Then my dad finds me, he's in Cambrai Island. Right, right. He becomes friends with this woman, Myra Coppersmith. Yeah. Crazy. Jewish woman with just larger than life woman yeah. has like an affair with her and goes, you get Vanessa back. You just get her, get her to Cumbria Island and we'll we just get her. Yeah. So she meets me. She's like a character. She ends up being completely orthodox. Jew, like marries 
like she's now Miriam. She yeah. lives in Israel. And I ended up meeting Bob Dylan because her husband, Mayor, yeah. was good friends with Bob Dylan. So Miriam said, I'd love to be like your mother. And I remember she introduced me to James Taylor and Carol King and Brooklyn and like really? this whole world. And was, was he on dope then? Was he a druggie? She uh, was Myra a druggie. No, Myra liked pot. I remember we. She liked pot. I remember she never wore a bra. And yeah, she had like the the ohm sign. She was like all. She was hippie. And her husband knew Dylan. My husband met Dylan years later. She converted. She went from being reformed Orthodox uh, Buddhist to yeah. being devout. Full Orthodox. Yeah. And so, that's when Dylan was at, too? That Dylan was just, I remember meeting Dylan years ago, like in 1990, like in 1990, 91, and she invites me over to a Seder, which I'd never been to, and there was Bob Dylan, and there was these three rabbis that were very funny, and I remember Bob Dylan, and he just like, he just completely fell right in his food, and I said to uh Miriam, I said, I think this is on, I think he's on something stronger than Manischewitz wine. Yeah. This is. He fell in his food? Fell right in his food. But I'll never forget, we were both washing our hands. <laughs> yeah. and, and we had to like wash the hands. And I was like, this is fucking Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I, I couldn't, you know, like when you met, yeah. you're talking Keith, you sure, just. Sure, you just get all excited. And I was, and it's like, hey, yeah. like, hey, mm -hmm. um, I love. Lay, lady, lay, lay. Yeah. That's a. So he goes, thank you. He goes, what do you do? I'm like, I just started doing comedy. He's like, wow, that's brave. I'm like he said, that's brave. That's brave. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan thought I was brave. So that was that late. So you'd already started doing comedy when you were just six months in. I was just six months in. So you that relationship with Myra sort of like evolved, but you stayed with Big and Little Grace for a while, and then like where did you end up? You know, uh, towards well, the commune. My dad, my okay, Miriam, put me in this commune, and there were all the draft dodgers. Miriam, yeah. she be Myra became Miriam. Yeah, yeah. There were all the draft dodgers from Cornell University, in Ithaca, and she said. I and she was real character. She's like, I will be like the mother you never had and yeah. take care of you. So I get to this commune. There's no electricity. I'm this kid from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. I love bologna sandwiches yeah. and hot pants and Barbie dolls. Yeah. And there's you milk the goats. You've got to pump water for the well. Yeah. Like they're growing pot everywhere. People are having sex. They're doing drugs. Yeah. Like, this is really. Too much, huh? Uh, too much. And I had to live in my own yurt, build my own firewood. I'm like, well, I got all the skills if I ever had to like go to Siberia. <laughs> yeah, go off the grid. Right. Yeah. So they didn't, she never told me this. They asked her to leave. They said, we, after like two weeks, they said, we, you leave, but we want the little girl to stay. I thought Myra didn't want me. Oh. And your dad's there too, right? No. My dad is furious with Myra because Myra said, listen, I was supposed to bring you back to Cambrai Island, but your dad's not very nice. He's mean. He's got a dark side. Yeah. And I remember my mother saying, he's got a dark side. Yeah. So in a year from, a year later, my dad drove up to the commune and flipped out and he goes, I, I you get he goes the reason why this commune exists because of me because I gave you acid all this fucking free fucking love is me yeah just leave me the fuck alone or I'll shoot all of you fucking fucks so that was my dad yeah we were at the commune so he's 
hold hold up in this yurt like thing, and everyone's being very polite with him, and they're like, "Dude, you know your yeah. dad's really violent." And then he says to me, "You have your choice." He goes, "Listen to that. So you have a choice. You could either stay at this commune, yeah. or you can come to Boston. If you stay at the commune, you'll never ever fucking see me again. Or come to Boston, Cambridge." Yeah. So. I was now fitting in in the commune. How old were you? I was 12 now. Yeah. And uh, 1970, no, 1973, 74, 13. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't, it was the first time I was kind of reunited with my dad again. And I didn't, you know, when you have not had a father or a mother and yeah. you could look at something yeah. and know it's your blood. Right. Just even if it's drunk blood high blood right whatever sure. i could look at my dad's eyes and yeah. go i know those eyes yeah. um and i i loved him i i looked i i looked up my mom was like an enigma and my mom always told me i never really got jealous of women because my mom said you can be anyone you want to be and look however you want to look and all yeah. i ever want to do is look like her right and you know, without the teeth being knocked out, sure. the bra over her dress, <laughs> and um, so you go to Boston. So I go to Boston, and they just started the busing. Um, with there was so much racism and anti-Semitism and just disgusting. Like I grew up with black kids. There was no prejudice, or you know, I yeah. lived in black neighborhoods. So my dad sent me to private school. Said I don't want you to. Um, I don't want anyone to beat the shit out of you. And he was now with this new woman, Oriole. So now I'm introduced to what it's like to be with an alcoholic, the likes I hadn't seen. Yeah. And he had two sides to him. And when my dad was on, he was as charming as can be. Yeah. And the dark side it was he would punch throw holes through the wall. He took my guitar once, you know, smashed it. Um and then I remember he said, you know, the next time I drink a little too much, just put on the Beatles, we can work it out. I'm like, is that before or after you smash my my, my <laughs> phonograph? Just tell me. So I was, I learned really young, if I was sarcastic and didn't raise my voice, um, I could say how I spoke. If I got loud with my dad, because I was seething, I was enraged yeah, sure. that he left us, Yeah, um, it would get violent. So I think those were the roots of... Did he hit you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but not a lot. Yeah. Not, nothing so, like out of Itanya or anything. Right. So you go, so you, you go through high school in Boston? Yeah, I finished high school in a year and a half, finished prep school, graduate with honors. Yeah. And then my dad decides he hates Americans. He was always... He gets to England, he hated the English. Get yeah. to America, he hated Americans. Right. So he leaves me in Boston... And now I'm like kind of homeless for a few months. And then I rejoin him in London. Um, but I had friends by now, but I was, I was now experiment. You know, I was, I s lost my virginity very early. Um, How old? 13. How'd that happen? Uh, my, this older kid. Yeah. Um, and I was drinking and I was very little alcohol. I would always get sick. Yeah. And, then I slept with my um I slept with one of my teachers. Um at prep school? Yeah. When yeah. you were thirteen, fourteen. Really? And um I didn't know he could have gotten a lot of trouble. I really did keep I really never reported him. Yeah. But um I'll never forget I won the philosophy award. Do you regret not reporting him? 
or no you know what i don't i now like you know what i don't but you know when you've been like wrongly touched and mistreated like it's i was talking to somebody about sexual predators like for someone who survived it if harvey weinstein would have said um listen do you mind watching me take a shower naked i'm like you're gonna make me six lead in your movie here's the soap here's the towel my guest right you know but my friend Jeannie said when you haven't been touched inappropriately it's inappropriate when someone's been touched inappropriately they don't know the difference and it's all about survival there's no boundary there there's no boundary hmm. so so you were saying that you were a few months on your own homeless and you start what you started doing drugs and stuff or no i never i went back to the commune and i couldn't oh go my back God. so who's flying you back and forth uh, no my friend uh, frank moss who was from the commune i was in new york I ended up going to Ithaca. He paid for my bus ticket. From Boston. Yeah, now I'm like 15. I'm like, now I'm 15. I'm out of high school, finish early. I'm starting to put on a lot of weight. I don't know what's going on. I'm coming into, I'm just feeling, I'm not really drinking or drugging that much. I'm really, um, I just wanted to look like a skinny model, you yeah. know, and I, I just was so unsure of myself. And, I went back to the commune and you yeah. couldn't go back. So I ended up staying with my friend Estelin who lived on the commune and I got a job as a dishwasher. I couldn't get, I was trying to get uh, waitress work and I was so shy. I was painfully shy. I would walk in and I'm like, looking for anybody yeah. to, and Estelin said, why don't you use your acting ability? Yeah. She, you, you just go into a, I said, what? She goes, yeah, talk with a British accent. Like talk with a British accent. Is that like, something yeah. you did with her, like for I, fun? For all the time, I was yeah. always like, hello. And yeah. So I said, um, I was wondering if you were looking for any waitresses. I just came from London, and it would really like to um, work here. He's like, well, we don't need any waitresses. We need a dishwasher. Fine, I'll take it. I'll be a dishwasher. You'll be a dishwasher. <laughs> and you had to do the accent for, for eight hours. I had so much. <laughs> I was so afraid. <laughs> I said, Esalen, I got the job, uh-huh. but I'm a dishwasher, but for eight hours, I've right. talked in a British accent. Right. She's like, tell them you were so desperate. I'm like, no, 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 no. You gotta no. I gotta, no, <laughs> I can't, like. The role of a lifetime. It's the role of, and then I told my dad, <laughs> my dad's laughing on the phone. Yeah. And I'm like, you find this funny, dad? Yeah. This is my acting role? Yeah. This is the world? This is my oyster? Yeah. Like, well, you know, this would be a wonderful story, darling, and you'll work on your accent, and you know, it's quite funny, really. I mean, for you. <laughs> I've worked on your and accent. And you just kept wonderful laughing. Wonderful story. Yes. I called it Big Race. It was like, my, again, my savior, saving grace. I'm like, I'm a dishwasher in Rochester with the British accent. And it's like, this, you just come back to Brooklyn. We'll figure something out. <laughs> and she sees me. And I'm like, black hair, magenta lipstick, 50 pounds heavier. And I remember, hi, big race. And she was like. <laughs> Terrified. Like, what happened to you? And then she goes, you look healthy yeah I'm like that means fat yeah. I just said she's like no no we're put you on a no we're gonna gonna see good nutritionist and yeah. she said now you have your choice you're either gonna go to Betty Owen secretarial school uh-huh. and I'm like I, I'm meant to be great I was meant oh, to yeah. be yeah. or you could be a hairdresser because I used to give my 
doll shake haircuts. Uh-huh. So I went to Betty Owen's secretarial school, and she goes, one day when you get ready to win your Oscar, you uh-huh. go thank your typewriter. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was the slowest one in the class, but I typed like 22 words a minute, but never you- knowing. Yeah. It'd be like my saving grace, and I used to get nervous when I'd have to take typing tests because yeah. I was with MTV. I was a se- I was a trying to go to now. I got ex- I got a scholarship to Lee Strasberg. I got accepted at NYU. Um, and when, how'd that all happen? I, I auditioned for Lee Strasberg Theatrical Institute when you were at the what you when said I was eighteen. After you did the secretarial school, you got a job in the city, and you were going oh, in. I was work. a temp. I was now a temp all yeah. over the offices in New York, and I would always fail at the typing test. So right. I learned how to see the test, know that they would turn it around. It used to be a lot easier to cheat. Yeah. So I would take the actual test. Yeah. Slowly. And say, I'm ready for my typing test. And it would be the actual. And I remember like. I was already written down. I remember getting in an MTV. I was at MTV when that just opened with the. You with were the temping be- there? Temping there. And they said, wow, you type 76 words a minute. I'm like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, when did you audition at uh, Strasbourg? Strasbourg was when I was 18. And, had, the, and this is when you were temping and stuff? I just started temping. I had to work before I could get my typing up. I was working as a cashier. I had to work as um, uh, like a, a sandwich maker. I couldn't. I had to get my typing skills up, and I knew that if someone would hire me, I would practice. Yeah. So that's why I had to cheat. And then Big Race was like, if you got to lie to survive, you do what you got to do. Right. Don't lie unless it's to survive. Then you can lie. Okay. So I was like, all right. <laughs> Thanks for the wisdom. So Thank what you. happened to Strasburg? Strasbourg was the most. You got in that you auditioned. I got in when I got in. I was so happy. I like I studied with Al Pacino's teacher, Charlie you, Lawton. Oh yeah. I just wanted. For how long? How long were you there? Like four years. I was really? There. So you auditioned there? Or you went there to work as a temp, right? Or, uh, no, or, I auditioned there. I first class I had to pay for. And it was oh, like, I see. So then they offered you like you could work and. Well, my teacher said she's you know she's talented. Um, he, she put in a word for me, uh-huh. and that was Barbara Portier. That was Sydney Portier's um, cousin, and uh, I remember thinking that I went. She said, "Do you know why you're in my class?" And I said, "Well, obviously, because they must have seen something." Yeah. And it was it killed her. To see. She goes. No, they thought you had some emotional issues because you were painfully shy, uh-huh. and I'm a psychologist and an acting teacher, and they thought you'd do well with me. Right. That was hard. And then I started to excel, but I remember the first time I learned about method acting, it was humiliating because I thought, you just think you're talented. You yeah. know, you just think that you've got something. Yeah. And I'm doing my monologue, I'm overacting. And I'm just like, and then the train and this came and no one looked, no one even gave a damn. Yeah. Scene. And she bursts out laughing. My teacher bursts yeah. out laughing, the students burst out laughing, and I start to feel the heat you know when the the heat starts to Yeah. And she's like, Van, I'm gonna call you Van. Uh, I want you to do that again, but just say it. Yeah. Just say it. Say yeah. the words. I'm like, but but there's blood and just say the words. Just speak. And I started to speak 
and I started to feel connected with what I was speaking and the emotions just came out of something organic and she said that is the beginning of acting uh-huh and that was the that was like the beginning that was the journey you know? wow yeah so you're there for four years Four years, and then when did when when and how did you start doing comedy? Did you did you go was was the only school you did was the uh, the method studio was with Strasburg or was method? And then yeah. my teacher was like, you know, use this when you need it. Yeah, if you're emotional, don't. This is now throw out everything you learned. Right, you know when you get taught that, like yeah. learn all this, yeah. and throw it out. Right. So now I was in my early twenties. Yeah, um, my dad was now now on to the next woman uh my sister would, was already born he met a woman in london i moved back with him briefly in london then he moved he lived at 355 mercer street and he gives me that place and i'm living with again all these hippies you can hear him having sex yeah and it was just you and then but you're in your 20s now i'm in my 20s yeah. i'm working like a dog i'm working like 80 hours at dean and deluca to was pay this, for my acting what year class. 90 something this was now nine eighty nine ninety. Yeah, right and um no 80 like the 80s yeah the 80s and long story short 1984 he dies big race dies my life is i like your old man dies and Big Race The dies. same year. Yeah. The same year. And I'd been in a fight with Big Race. We'd never fought. If we did, we always made up. And I was, that was a Tuesday. We fought on a Tuesday and I couldn't stand that getting along with her. And I went to call her on Thursday and they said, um, she's gone. She died. She ended up having, she ended up having like a leg amputated. She didn't know she had diabetes. I never got to say I loved her. And then my dad was screaming at me for his old girlfriend. Never got to say I loved him. So I just, uh, he was just screaming. And then I had no idea. How'd he die? He died in Bolivia. I believe it was from a bleeding ulcer, but I believe it was due to, um, he said they were running a Jojaba plantation, which I think they were running a cocaine plantation uh -huh, uh -huh. and Joe Jabba covered it, but he was getting thinner and he'd send me pictures. He used to write really tiny because in prison he learned how to write really well. Yeah. His writing was now getting like just erratic yeah. and he was getting thinner and thinner. I remember thinking, something's not good here. Yeah. And he passed away and uh, we were always fighting by this point. And um, and Big Race helped me through. Big Race said, he's like Rumpelstiltskin. Can you see him like as a cartoon character? Yeah. Just see him as a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. And I'll never forget, he start yelling. She had a horn. She's like, just blast him with this yeah. horn. So I remember like my dad screaming at me. I'm like, dad, can you hold on a second? Yeah, what? What the fuck? Just. An air horn? Air yeah, horn. Yeah. And then <laughs> we just start laughing. But she, she took away the... She helped, like, she gave, she humanized the whole situation. She made him more, she made him more cartoon-like, yeah. which made my rage and his insanity more palpable. And they both die in the same year. Same year. It's terrible. That was, that was a shitty year. And that was, like, in the 80s. In 1984. And right. my dad said, the world is going to end in 1984. And he, his world was going to end in 1984, it's like he saw his own yeah. premonition. And I'll never forget, 
when Big Race died, my mother and I went up to the roof. I was listening to Wishing You Were Here by Chicago. And she said, you must feel like you lost your own mother. She's more of a mom than I ever was. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but you're still my mom. You'll always be my mom. But she, so that, it almost took me two years to recover from that. And so I was to associate, as I began to understand recovery, addiction, codependency. You started going to meetings? I started going to meetings. Which was kind? Pot potential drinker. Um, you were drinking? Very little. But I knew, I was like, I can't be like my dad. I cannot. So I was barely had a problem. But I something said, just go to a meeting. Yeah. And... Then I, at 29, I was in Astoria. I wanted, I'm like, how did, I just wanted to be a cop on a series. I just wanted to act. Now I'm yeah. like just a secretary. Like, this is. You were living in Astoria? Living in Astoria. My friend said, you know what? When you tell me what your day at work is, it's so much funnier than the shit I see on TV. You should be a comedian. I'm like, oh, stop. What? Oh, no. She goes, I'm telling you, you're funny. I'm like, that's because, you know, you love me. I'm telling you, you're funny. Just try it. I'm like, come. And I'll never forget, that was 1992. Yeah. Within two years, I had a development deal. And everything came together. When did you go? Where'd you go on first? Though? How'd you start? Uh, Gladys's Comedy Club. And I brought all the girls from the office. Yeah. And I went on like four hours later. And I remember getting on stage going, we wouldn't, no one would even laugh at Richard Pryor if he came on at this point. The second I was on stage, yeah. I was like, I'm home. Yeah. Like no one could take this away from me because I would always be doing plays if I could, but I was always like the director, the actor, the, the, yeah. and then I was a musician too. I was always getting the band together, learning the songs, trying to get the gigs, and I'm like, if I do this on my own, no one, I I can only let myself down and I could be independent and I won't need to rely on anybody for anything. I won't need anybody. I remember seeing you around early on, I guess at the Strip or Stand Up New York and you did some, you were, you were a big bra, you know, brassy act and you did some characters, right? And, uh, but you, you, you were definitely, uh, like sort of high energy and like you really got the crowd, you know, and that was like right from the beginning you were doing it like that? Yeah. Well, I went to audition for Lucian. Um, Lucian Hold. The, yeah. The my friend said. Booker of the comic strip. Booker and part of the owner, right? Was he part, part owner? owner? Yeah. No, no, not part owner. He wanted to be. They never let him. Oh, really? They really, yeah. He was there a million years. They never let him get a piece of it? They never let him. And he always, I'll never forget when he got deathly ill and I said, Lucian, you've got to let them know you need help. Yeah. You you can't go on like this. And I was like basically a nurse by now and yeah. bandaging him up. And he's like, no, no, they can't know because I might lose my job. They'll lose, I'll lose my job. And it was the first time I was like, holy shit, you're vulnerable. Yeah. It was, I felt like, like, you know, the Wizard of Oz. And yeah, yeah, like, right. Oh my God, dude. Your interesting, eyes. interesting. Your eyes. But let's we'll get to that. So so in ninety two you start doing comedy in New York clubs. Did you get past where were you passed? Where did you work in? Where, how did I was doing unfold? gay rooms. I couldn't get any I was um 
I, Michelle Ballon. Do you know Michelle Ballon? I think I remember her. She said, um, you can come up with us to Provincetown, but you have to do some gay songs and be gay. Yeah. I'm like, but I'm not gay. It's like, well, you're going to have to act gay because I'll get stage time. Yeah. So we had to do like, so I went up there and I was like, and, I'll, and I got one of my jokes from there because I was like, wow, they're all going to come on to me. I mean, mm. They'll just want me and I'll be straight. And not one of them looked my way. <laughs> I will never forget that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Michelle said, "Cause you don't smile, wouldn't kill you to smile." Yeah. And then Lucian, um, they said I was told he was Satan. He was Lucifer. He will don't get involved with him. He will destroy you. This is the mid nineties, and he was the he, he he had the well he was the the entryway to the comic strip right and had been for years yes right? and he saw him so i'm the i'm the keeper at the gate yeah i have to tell who comes in and who comes out you used to think god this guy's really full of himself but did you audition for him yes i was in there for an hour and Michelle said, I knew how badly you wanted to be passed at the comic strip. I thought you were blowing them. <laughs> I'm like, no, that came later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, he passed me and he goes, um, you do these characters. I don't know anything about you. I'm like, yes, but I'm an actress. He goes, well, so you say. I mean, he was so, I go, well, but I am. Well, so you say. No offense. I don't know you. Yeah. Now I want you to go on stage and just talk to the audience. I don't, I don't know what to. No, they're here to listen to me. No, they're there because you need to. Like I said, I don't know what to say to an audience. It goes, where'd you get that tie? Where are you from? You just. And I said, but I'm not going to get laughs, and I'll never forget. He goes, Vanessa, I'm giving you permission to bomb. <laughs> and it was like one of the. So he let me kind of bomb. And um, I remember he goes... And what did that do? How did that help you? It made me feel there was at least someone in my corner. If I didn't do well, I'd get a spot. And he would only give me spots like a Tuesday night, once every eight, nine weeks. And I was he was always talking politics, and everyone was always talking. I would just have my notebook and be shy. Yeah. And he'd say, uh, you should talk to people. It goes, are you a lesbian? I'm like, no. I'm smart. Why, if a guy comes in here with his notebook, he's straight. But if I sit here with my notebook, I'm a lesbian. He goes, well, you wear, wear an army jacket. You have short hair. You have magenta lipstick. Uh, you don't talk to anyone. And you just told me that you were in Provincetown. Yeah. I go, oh, okay, I could, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dennis Wolfberg was his dearest friend. And I was going to this church and... Lucian, I, like, no one knew this. I loved Lucian, I think, more than he loved, I was, I, I loved him more than he loved me. Yeah. I, the. He went to that Unitarian church. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to this other church, and they got this, like, southern windbag minister. Yeah. And it was around Easter, and, um. I just asked him what church he goes to. He goes, oh, Unitarian Universalist. The only time you hear Jesus is if the janitor stubs his toe. Yeah. Um, would you like to join me for Easter? He just lost his best friend, Dennis Wolfberg. Right, I He literally, and he liked me. Yeah. 
And all I'm hearing is, Satan, you'll be destroyed. All that work for nothing. You'll never, if you sleep with this guy, you're done. You're history. Why was that? Why did people say that? That's what they said. I don't, they were frightened of, men were, men and women were intimidated by Lucian. Yeah. All right, so you go to church with him. Go to church with him, and then we, I'm starting to talk about, you can come up to the podium and speak, and my yeah. mother finally got hired at the welfare office after being on welfare for 18 years. The welfare office finally gives her a job yeah. working at welfare. Lucian thought my hippie parent jokes, my mother's stuff, he thought it was all... He said, you seem very well-rounded, yeah. grounded. He said, that your parents really... I said, yeah. He goes, that wasn't made... I said, no. You did it at the church? I did it at the church. <laughs> I said, my mother did a lot of drugs. Yeah. She finally gets hired at the welfare office, and she gets fired. She was like, last hired, first fired, and he said... Then he said, would you like to grab some lunch? I'm like, all right. And he said, um, your dad, you, you, you joke about the LSD. And yeah. I said, no, no, that's really true. And then he's an intriguing, very intriguing. Yeah. And then his friend Dennis Wolfberg died. And he was kind of fond of me. I could tell it. And I was like, this is really fucked up. I'm attracted to him, but this is fucked up. But this is, you know, and I couldn't yeah. think straight because it was like so taboo that it was exciting, yeah. but so taboo that it was Because he was, was the off. club owner? He was a club owner. He was, club also, yeah. he was also a father figure yeah. I never had. He also was emotionally removed, which yeah. made me associate love with longing. He had, uh, he like had the trifecta of being the perfect kind of messed yeah. upness for me to just want. But he wasn't explosive, was he? Um, no, he yeah. was just, no, but it was his way of the- uh, Withdrawn. Withdrawn no? and removed, mm. and I just would win, my love would win him over. Just I would- kind of pounding at the door. Yes, yeah. I would win him over. But yeah, when we first moved in together, he said, um, I said, listen, I chain smoke, I'm on the phone a lot, it takes me a couple hours to dry my hair, but other than that, I have a really effervescent personality. <laughs> now, is there anything I ought to know about you? Like, yeah. keep the toilet seat up, you clip oh, your yeah. toenails in bed. Yeah. And he goes, um, if, uh, if you um, disappoint me in any way, I will withhold all my love from you. Like, oh, so. And you're like, great. Great. And, and I was in. like, yeah. And I was literally, great. I'm moving in. I will not disappoint. So so you're doing comedy a couple of years. Two years, and, yes. And then you get seen by who? Get seen by Amy and Chicasso Davis. It was, I had a huge showcase at Caroline's. Uh -huh. She was supposed to be at the Montreal Comedy Festival. Tony Camacho is now, was my manager. Right. And I said, you know, Tony, I got to let me. I want to work on some new stuff. It was yeah. the first time I was at Caroline's that ever had so many laughs in my life. I didn't even like. If you want, I seen the original tape. When you look at it, there's a. I'm I'm just registering getting so many laughs. Yeah. And there was a joy. Like we lose that. Yeah. So have you ever like watched your sets? Yeah. When there's joyfulness. Yeah. And then you're trying to be so technically proficient and nail your bits and yeah. get that. You you forget to smile, right? You know what you love. So. Sure. So it was a good night. It was a great night, and, and she Amy, was there. Amy Intercastle Davis said we sent out a flyer to five hundred people. She was the one, and she said, 
I was the one person that didn't go up to Montreal Comedy Festival. She goes, uh, I want to see you in my office. In two weeks, your entire life's going to be different. Yeah. So I bring my contract into my temp place. I'm like, this is, they really like me. And I don't even take it seriously. And she says, she takes the tape. I take this work tape, never knowing that that work tape was going to get me 60 meetings in all of Los Angeles. And Drew Carey. But you fly out here? Fly out to for LA. For meetings. For meetings. They, and these are for... Meeting to, after meeting after meeting. To get a development deal. They all want to give me development deals. Yeah. They all want to... Right. Um, and I feel like... I feel like Cinderella. Uh-huh. Like, it, I didn't know what was happening to yeah. me. And um, Jeff Abagov was out there. He wrote this show called The Billy Club. Carsey Warner said, please going to business with yeah. us. And all I knew is how to be loyal. Yeah. It's like you go with, you don't just, I didn't know a bird in a hand is better than two in the, I didn't know a lot. If I would have known what I knew now, I wouldn't have been, but I just thought loyalty. So um, Drew Carey. Uh, NBC, so you're going out with the guy who's on my porch right now with his show and, and Carsey Warner wants no, to No, they're do just it. bringing him in as a writer. Okay. Carsey Warner's like. They got a show. Yeah, we got a show, The Billy Club, which he wrote. They said, just stay with us, Vanessa. Oh, and okay. They I, offered you the deal. They offered right. me the deal. They said, we'll give you a hundred grand. Right. And we're taking you off the market. I had a meeting at NBC. They said, look at this Drew Carey show. Here's the pilot. Right. We'll write you a six lead and give you 260 grand. Just yeah. please, we want you to be with us. Yeah. And Carsey Warner's like, I'm going to give you the third lead and we love you. Yeah. And I'd never like, this is someone who didn't know love from... Like I didn't. You didn't have any representation. I had Tony Camacho. No agent. I had no agent. Tony Camacho, and Tony Camacho wasn't sure who to talk to, and I used. I felt like Lenny and George of Mice and Men. I swear yeah. to God, I just, and I didn't know what was happening, and I just thought, just hold it together, and I turned down the Drew Carey show. I remember seeing it thinking Kathy was funny, the one with all the makeup. Yeah. Drew, I thought, he reminded me of like Clark Kent. Like uh -huh. it wasn't, but the Billy Club was a cop show. Yeah. I knew I wanted to be a cop. And then that show never happened. And then everyone in New York was a little bit jealous of me. There were some well-known comedians that were like, oh, she does that performance art shit, whatever she does. Or, She's fucking the owner, you know, whatever nasty things. Right, you were doing characters, and yeah, you were dating Lucian, and you got this deal for a hundred. I wasn't quite dating him, but right. everybody knew Thought that. he liked well, me. I, I yeah. remember that there was stuff going on. Well, I remember the reaction. It was more about like, you know, you don't even doing it, right? You didn't pay your right. dues. Yeah, you, you, you know, how does she get that right. two years in? Right. Who is she? Doesn't even work at the real clubs. Right. 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 So and then Lucian wanted to be out with us. I'm like, Lucian, I have everything to prove. There's not one... Com I will say we're together when I'm passed in every single club, and it's on my terms. You won't say you're in love with me? This is after you started dating? Yeah. But So what happens to the deal? So you come back with your 100 grand? Come back? No, I give him back. I said, just... Take me off of this. Here, you can have like 40 what, or 60. What, what? Gave it back. I what gave do you them, mean you gave it back? I just gave them back their money. Why? They wouldn't let me audition for anything. I was just sitting there, pilot after pilot after pilot. Oh, they were, had a hold on you? Yes. For a and year? I, yeah. I said, un, 
get me out of this deal. And that's when I auditioned for Suddenly Susan. I was back to back with Janine Garofalo. They were like, you're not quite Janine. You're not quite Kathy Griffin. Um, you're kind of in between. And they got stuff. And yeah. I got, and I went from being, you know, hot, hot, hot yeah. to ice cold. And that's when Lucian said, um, well, you're going to have to make yourself undeniably funny now. Yeah. I said, but I am funny. He goes, no, <laughs> no, you're going to be funny. And that was, I said, but I, I, surely I'll get another chance. And he goes, you might not. But he said, you will always be able to do this till the day you die. Stand up. Stand up. <laughs> like what nursing, he goes, provided you don't get Alzheimer's or lose your mind or urinate all over yourself, you will always have a skill. Yeah. <laughs> I just had such a way of, I said, thank you, Lucian. You think I might not, maybe I want to teach art or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you come back, you're, you're beaten up, the comedy community is And they're all judgmental. friendly. Oh no, now oh, they're no. like, oh, yeah. they're like Vanessa. <laughs> We've got our own back. Nice beginning failure, yeah. piece of fucking shit. Now you're going to be funny. Right. And you were. Yeah. You got funny. And you started dating Lucian. Started and dating Lucian. You got passed at the cellar and it, the improv Got passed at the cellar and I was yeah. the one, was the few. And you started living with him? Started living with him. Um, and he already had scleroderma. And I just remember. Yeah, I can't remember. <sighs> I thought it was lupus that he had. No, he had horrible. First. Horrible scleroderma. What is that exactly? Is Hardening it... of the skin. Scleroderma is like Greek, and what happens is your skin overproduces collagen. But how do you lose his hand fingers? Uh, couldn't get circulation because the blood got cut. This was like scleroderma is everything gets so tight here. Oh, my God. And he said, he described the pain. He said, you... If you play baseball, he goes, my fingers are so delicate that if I was playing softball and a softball was going to hit me in the crotch as a man, yeah. I would let it hit me in the crotch before I would try and grab it. Because it would knock hand. his fingers off? Oh, my God. No, it would just hurt too much. Oh. And, um, he's, and I used to always try to find gloves for him, started cooking for him, but I was now... I hadn't been in AA for years. I had no desire to drink. He didn't even think I had a drinking problem. Yeah, um, He thought I had a lot of other problems. And I remember that I started to take antidepressants, which I knew nothing about. Yeah, And I started to go up and up because then he'd howl like a wild animal at night. This is when there was a secret life delusion that no one knew. The sickness. The sickness and the fragileness of him, yeah. which he kept hidden. Yeah. And I kept it hidden for him. Yeah. But he would howl like a wild animal. And I, I said, you've got to get some help. Yeah. And um, we researched the fentanyl patch, which he didn't have addiction issues. Yeah. I did. I had yeah. no issues with that. And I noticed that I watched a tape and I was I was no longer myself. Like it was a, there was a, you were consumed by his sickness. I was consumed by his sickness, but I lost my soul. I was watching myself do a set. So I'm like, yeah, I wanna, so I wanna do the Comedy Central Presents. Yeah. And I watched one of my sets, and I'm like, there's no soul. My soul's gone. This medication is. Oh, oh, the, the antidepressants. But uh -huh. I wasn't crying. I bandaged him up. Yeah. He'd howl. Go, okay, Lucian, here, like. 
music. I wasn't affected by music, sunsets, nothing mattered. It was just... And you thought it was the medication? I knew it was the medication, but I didn't realize that it was now taking my personality. So I went, we were now starting to have marital problems. When did you get married? We got married. Well, he didn't want to get married. He'd already been married twice. And Michelle, his old wife, and I used to work in the office together. Um, We got married 14 months before he died. So you're having marital problems? Marital problems. And I tried to get pregnant. I had a miscarriage. And then uh, I had the miscarriage. And I was like the beginning of how many cruel jokes is God going to play? And how many times do I have to... Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Keep putting your best foot forward. Yeah. Keep a stiff upper lip. Yeah. And I just started to get angry at God. I'm like, you, everything that I work, I'm not, I'm willing to work. Everything that mattered is just take from me. And I remember they had a tour of the Middle East. And I remember saying, I have to do something life affirming now. And I'd lost the baby, I had the miscarriage, like I had it in my hand, like it uh, looked like a heart, like it was just, and Lucian was, I'm sorry, honey. You know, it's not meant to be. I, of course, I would have loved to have been a father, but with this debilitating disease, it might've been too much. Ugh. And I went to the Middle East. On a comedy tour. On a comedy tour. And then we were newly married and we were starting to have problems. How was the Middle East? It was amazing. It was one of the happiest. It was one of the most happiest times I'd ever had in my life performing for these guys, and I knew some of them wouldn't come back. Oh, it was a USO. It wasn't. It was one of the first tours that went out with yeah. them, and I was there for a month. Wow! And we were newly married, and I was trying to get a hold of him to tell him I loved him, and he would be, "Ah, oh, that's so sweet, honey. I'm two for one in golf. I'm doing very well." Like his golf game was more important than than me loving him. He couldn't. He couldn't uh, ever get out of that detachment. And when I came, and this is where we differed, and th- this is where I learned about men and women. When I came home, I wanted to surprise him. I knew how hard it was for him to drive. Yeah. So he was going to pick me up, and I wanted him to like see me throw me on the floor, make wild, passionate love. And he was like, oh, you're home. Ah, uh, good. I wasn't expecting this. I was like, I was gone from, and I remember. You surprised him, you mean? I surprised him, hoping yeah. he'd be like, oh, Vanessa, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, my wife, I yeah, love you. Yeah. How was it? And he yeah. was like, oh. oh, I was right in the middle of putting up some paintings of yours. And oh, well, you just surprised me. Yeah. You know, I don't like surprise. I'm like. And that was our disconnect. And I remember we had a huge fight and I just slammed the door and broke, shattered all this glass. He had like yeah. a, and I was waiting for him to just go, you just immature uh-huh. child. Yeah. And he sat me down and he said, Vanessa, there's a difference between a demand and a request and if you could just accept me for being who I am, I might surprise you by doing some of the things you might like. And you did everything to be the perfect wife for me. Yeah. Did you ever ask yourself if I was the perfect man for you? And I never did. I was so busy wanting to be 
the perfect wife for him. Uh-huh. And then as he was getting sicker and sicker, you know, our love changed. Um, it be he was the one that protected me. Yeah. I was now the one protecting him. Right. And um, that was that was when you know that was when I ended up going off on the deep end with drink. I didn't know. I didn't know what an alcoholic I was. I had no idea. After he died or during? After he died. So, you know, you were there till the end, you know, next to him. And you you were in the room when he passed? Yeah. I Well, I couldn't. We were having marital problems. So I wanted the last six months, um, he got told to put his papers in Uh order. And I was... I wanted to move back with him. We only separated for a few months because I said, can we get couples counseling? And he yeah. goes, you knew I was going to die when you married me. You knew that. Uh-huh. And I said, but I'm on medication. He goes, well, that's not my problem. I didn't tell you to medicate yourself. I'm like, but it's really, I said, this is like Lois W. and Bill W. He goes, but we're not, mm-hmm. and I'm not. And just, Vanessa, things get tough and you just run away. Just go run, run, run. And I... I just wanted him to get a little therapy. That's all I wanted was some marital counseling so he could understand that this was killing me. Yeah. And he would he and then my therapist said, "He's on the tail end, Vanessa. He's getting ready to die. Yeah. You're everything to live. You guys are not." So, um I called up his friends and I said, "Listen, make him food, help him drive." Be there. I can't do that. And do not tell him I told you to do anything. Yeah. I have not, you didn't hear these phone calls. So I didn't want him, want him to have his dignity. I yeah. didn't want him to know that I was doing anything behind his back. So they were making him food. Certain people were sucking up to him. And he knew it. He goes, you know, if they're nice to me now, I just passed them. It's kind of sad. I used to pass people because they were funny. Now you make me soup and... I'll give you a Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. But he was starting to get like, it was a, it's like the, the giant was beginning yeah. to, like, it's like the old dog was beginning to break down. Break down. And he's getting humble. Yeah, he, he's a getting humble. Vulnerability to it. Yeah. yeah. It made me just get so protective. And so you came back. I can't, no, no, this was what killed me. I said, Lucian, I, I really think I should come back. We don't have to have sex. Yeah. I, you know, that's all right. I, we really couldn't by now. Right. Um, I said, I'll sleep on the couch. Yeah. Sleep with you. Yeah. I, don't, I really don't care. You need some. And he goes, I've never been so happy. I'm in pain. But comedians visit me. They bring me food. They talk to me. I, I hold court here. I... If you come back, all that will be taken away. And I thought, I know what it feels like to shine. And he had his moment. He let so many other people shine. And I was like, okay. So I was like, that's... And you had gotten that stuff going. Yeah. Yeah. And... So then I knew I was at the Bergada. 
and I'm now seeing him like I'm helping him do the schedule where I'm like he's like honey you could do the schedule yourself right. and I'm like I knew that if I stopped waking him up he would have no reason to live right so my instinct was just keep him alive yeah so I called the brigade I met the brigade I'm like Lucian I'm on my way home and he's like I'm so in love with my wife like this is yeah. what I'm using I'm like, yeah. can you remember to uh, I picked up some diet Snapple for you. like this was not him and yeah. I'm like the, the days are numbered they knew it and I was with Tom Carter I'm like we've got to get I've got to get home and Monday he was going to do the schedule and see the auditioners and I remember he was like throwing up like like yogurt and he'd gotten now he's about 130 pounds skinny and they they brought the auditions they had a camera rigged up in yeah. his so um I said Lucian do you want to you want to see the auditioners and he's like no just stop hassling me Vanessa just stop it just let me sleep I was like now this is the third time I've gotten yelled at by somebody I loved right before they die yeah and I said all right and that Tuesday when we had to go do the schedule I um, he always would be like he'd always be I, I knew something was off so I said he loves old movies let me leave the old movies on let me leave the lights on just so when he wakes up he won't feel alone because something's off here and then Tuesday he was in his chair his legs were open he was wearing like a, a like a burgundy bathrobe and like this but his legs were always closed and um, I was like, Lucian, I'm here to do the schedule. Like, I didn't, you really do go into denial when someone dies. Yeah. You don't, like, your body, you actually, I'm like, let's do the schedule. Lucian, wake yeah. up, wake up. Yeah. And I called Lenny Marcus. And Lenny, I said, Lenny, he's not responding. You gotta, like, come over here. Yeah. And Lenny was, uh, Lenny was, uh, he's gone. He's gone. I said, please, you can't leave me here. He came over? Yeah. And then there was comedians calling, and then they immediately wanted to do the schedule who was ever running the comic strip. And I'll never forget this one comedian. He's like, I was wondering if I could switch spots. <laughs> and I'm like, it's a little hard right now because Lucian just died. And he's like, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> I'll call later. Calls two hours later. Is it? I'm like, this is so fucking comic. All right, I'm, hey man, I'm sorry, but can you switch this spot with me? <laughs> so, so that was so that was horrible. That was pretty. That was pretty bad. I just started. I thought I had grief drinking. Mm -hmm. And when he died, he was taking. I remember, like, I'd already. Like, I hadn't really drunk yeah. in years. Yeah. Didn't oh, really? really take pills. No, I'd never. All those years. I didn't, it's like I started drinking when he died at 44. Yeah. And um, I remember, like, giving him a Percocet and thinking, yeah. okay, that's yeah. for your pain. This is for my emotional pain. Oh, really? Pain. You were doing that? I was already doing that. Yeah. Like, if you had a... And I remember Lisa Ann Walter. Yeah. was with me one day. She took Lucian to dinner. She's like three fucking hours to eat with that guy i'm like yeah, yeah. she's like wow because you would eat everything so like right. 
everything and the joys he got was being able to eat so I learned how to cook food really well he loved wine so as he wished I drank and I'll never forget saying I don't know what the big deal is wine it tastes disgusting yeah. and I remember like getting ready to make the sauce yeah. and he was like oh fuck shit you know just in the pain and I couldn't and I just I remember going like that taking the bottle taking the you know, taking a big glass and yeah. drank it down and I'm like, it was as if like everything became like the yellow brick road. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. everything stopped hurting. Uh-huh. And I had this huge smile on my face and I was like, here's your dinner, Lucian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and, I, and I had a glass and I was like, I finally... Yeah, And I'm he drinking. was... Oh, yeah. There was not happiness. No, you're scared. It's like you're... You're drinking. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And his look was... Uh, Terrified? Terrified. (laughs) And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. And he goes, I don't know what you're going to do without me either. And I didn't know that that was... I didn't know that one glass of wine was going to be two and a half bottles a day. Yeah. And that's where that's where you ended up. I ended up. Um, I didn't know that you couldn't mix pills with booze, and I was at I was at Broadway Comedy to do this hip hop yeah thing yeah where I usually pull my pants down and I do a hip hop version of yeah. the Beatles rap yeah and I usually pull my pants down and show my ass and I'd taken the Valium the antidepressants the alcohol I go up on stage. And I, I can't, the words are like, I'm looking with the words are like, I can't get the words out, but I know. And I'm, um, I'm like, this is really wrong. And the audience I'm seeing going like this. Yeah, yeah, uh, oh no. Expression's <laughs> changing and now they're terrified. And- like, and the mop top and, the, and, um, and my, Dress. I pulled down my entire underwear, skirt, like, yeah, completely exposed. And Dustin, Dustin Chafin, yeah, gets me off stage. And um, there was this guy, Paulie, and Paulie said, "Get this girl a cab." And you can hear she's nothing but a drunk. She's a loser. She's nothing but a fucking drunk. And Paulie said, this girl has more heart and talent in her finger than any of you fucks. Who said you were nothing but a drunk? These comedians, no recollection. I was so, I. the next thing I knew, I was spread on my floor with the keys and the, I have no recollection I even got home. And then I, I thought that no one would know what a problem I might have had. Yeah. So I called Chris Mazzilli and I said, you know, I think I've been taking a little too much, um, you know, pain. Uh, uh, I think I'm allergic to some of these allergy medications. Yeah. Like, really? And what did like, Mazzilli say? Goes, well, it's good. You know, just, uh, you know, trying, uh, yeah, we worried about, you know, what was wrong. You know, I was, clearly I was mixing the, so I got off of all the pills. So he was good. He, he was, was worried good. about you. Al Martin gave me another chance. Everyone gave me another chance. So how long were you all fucked up? I was fucked. That's when it started to cost me. I was fucked up probably for that year. 
and then I started trying to get sober, and I couldn't stop. Where were you living? I was living on third. I was living on Twenty uh, Eighth Street and Eighth. I moved out of Lucian's place. I couldn't. It was like couldn't live there. I couldn't. I was. Did he leave you anything? Yeah, yeah. He left me. He he told this to Corey. He didn't tell me. So to similar Kahane? with my dad. He goes Vanessa gave me the happiest years of my entire life in spite of this debilitating disease. And Corey was crying. And I was like, Corey, why didn't he ever tell me that? She goes, I don't know, but he told me. And I wish I knew what it felt like to be loved like that, Vanessa. Someone loved you like that. I said, I wish. You knew. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'll just tell her the last moment by yeah. somebody else. Yeah. That'll fuck her up and make her a little bit funnier. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So People always think, parents always think they're doing you a favor, making you tougher. Right, sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to understand the dynamics that we seek out. And I used to in. laugh about your mom, the anorexic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's still at it. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember hearing you talk so honestly and just thinking, wow, it's it's like... There was so much heart in what you said. I remember one time I was watching you. I don't even think you remember this. I just really, I loved your, I loved the fact that you weren't, you weren't full, you were full of energy, but full of energy and self-deprecating. You'd always sit on a stool and you had like some, remind me a little bit of John Lennon, and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And I'll never forget, I was sitting right here and I was getting ready to watch you and you went, Vanessa Hollingshead. Now that's intimidating. And I remember thinking, I said, "You, I, me, how would, how would I ever intimidate you?" And I said, "I'm here for you because you're brilliant." And you're like, "All right." And I just never forget that. Well, you're very intense. You know, you're very intense. So, unlike you, right? I know. I know. Well, that's no, why. That's why I connected. I thought we were going to be talking cats. Really? Yeah, I really did. It's all right. So, but did you, well, how long did it take you to get it together? How far did you fall? I just, I'll never forget. I was on stage and now I was, now I was drinking a little bit more. Now I was drinking in the morning. You? Yeah. Yeah. Like wine. Yeah. Um, And I was with a pothead. So he'd get high and this was months. I couldn't even, like, I was undateable. I'd be talking, I'd be out on a date, start talking about Lucian and I'd just start crying. Yeah. And so the drinking just began to escalate, but I started to drink very well. I started to not, not check my texts, you know, no, th do not write things on Facebook because you think you're poetic. Yeah. Do not drunk text boyfriends. Yeah, do not. A list of rules. I had a list of rules and post-its, and I would always, <laughs> always like have my cats. Me and the cats. How many cats did you have then? Two. We had yeah. 20 and 21, two brothers. Uh -huh. Kept them around. And so how'd, how'd you hit bottom? What happened? It was almost like the cat. Uh, I'll never forget. Like I vowed never to be like, I was always the sad sap. I was either very flirtatious or, um, or just start crying. And I'll never forget, I came in and my cat would either be in my drawer 
yeah. keeping me company or be on the table, would be on the chair. Yeah. And I drunk too much and I just went to go shoo the cat. I was always so gentle with him. And I, and I remember the cat just, the little leg, like the little leg, just his cat was fine, but the little leg like just went like that. Yeah. And that was my mom. I'm like, no, no. It's one thing that I self-destruct, but I'm not taking that cat with me. Oh, you heard its leg? I, I thought I heard its leg. I didn't, but it was enough. Yeah, and I yeah. just grabbed it to me, and I started sobbing, <laughs> sobbing, and I went started going to AA. Um, and that wouldn't work. That didn't work either. And now I was getting scared. Then I was getting time and losing time and getting time. Like, wait a second. It's was anyone helping you, any of the guys? Nobody. No one. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I, I just thought you go to AA and you don't want to drink. No. Then I, I had to take uh, antibuse. And I'll never forget, I would drink, like I would drink like this if I was drinking. Yeah. You would not know it. I learned how to take the mouth spray, yeah. smile, yeah. keep a distance. Like you learn all these little secret rules. Yeah. yeah. But I wasn't fooling myself. I remember I had all these women that came that weren't drinking. And I knew I had a drink. I put out a beautiful, like, lunch oh, yeah. for them. And I went into the bathroom and I filled up all my wine in a hairspray bottle. And I undid the hairspray bottle. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror, drinking the hairspray bottle. I'm like, you might. <laughs> I think you've got a problem. And then my psychiatrist, he tried the uh, Campbell, tried uh, this antidepressant, he tried uh, this thing, and I'll never, and I just thought there's one drug left antabuse where you can die if you drink mm. on it. And I said, you've gotta put me on antabuse. Mm. And he goes, you'll die. Yeah. And I said, I'm dying now. Yeah. And I said, it was nine in the morning. I said, do you think I had anything to drink? And he was a substance specialist, yeah. he's like, no. I said, I've already had half a bottle of white wine. <laughs> and I remember he wrote the script. He wrote and he goes, script. now, I want you to wear a bracelet that I want it to jingle. Yeah. So when you think that you can drink, you'll hear the jingling. That you might die. And it saved my life. And I'll never forget, like day four or five, looking out the window and thinking, you can eat two cakes. <laughs> You can fuck somebody. <laughs> you can tell someone to fuck off. Right. You can just take your clothes off. You can do, you cannot drink. Right. And then I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, God. <laughs> thank you. And then I ended up going to a rehab in Australia. Uh-huh. And this was like the Harry Potter of rehabs. This was like... <laughs> It's just it's like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, I'm a manic depressive, I'm a compulsive cleaner. I'm like, yeah. God, why couldn't I be a compulsive cleaner? Everything we fucking need not destroy my career. Yeah. How long were you there? I was there a month. They saved my life. And um, I was very, I didn't believe in God. When I came back, there was no, I remember praying to Bill W. Yeah. I remember having the drink, yeah. I remember being drunk one night. And saying, well, Lucian, if you didn't think I was a drunk when you knew me, I'm a fucking drunk now. <laughs> yeah. Think I might have a problem or not. Yeah. Think I just have some emotional problems. Uh-huh. You showed him. Yeah. So I said, good, I'll show you. Let me drink. Yes, I know. We do that. I did, they told me in the rehab, they said, um, you might not be able to be a comedian again. 
if you put yourself at risk. Yeah. And that I couldn't. Now, I was now, I had almost no money left. And I was, this was the turning point for me. Bruce Smirnoff was running, was, was working at Royal. The comedian, yeah. Yeah, yeah. working at Royal Caribbean. Right. He, um, he said, you know, I run, sh- I book ships. I book the biggest cruise ships in the world. You're kind of edgy, but we'll give you a shot. And I was down to nothing. I remember putting in four four applications to Starbucks, yeah. thinking, well, Louis C.K. might walk in there, and you're going to have to make him a latte, and mm. then you can go back to hating God, because yeah. now this is going to be cruel joke, not sure, whatever. I'm not, not sure Louis could help you now. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't have a problem in be, doing anything inappropriate. <laughs> I'd be like, Louis, do what you got to do. I'm so over this shit. Just put me on your show. Just don't get my hair. <laughs> Yeah. So you're applying at Starbucks and Smirnoff, what, calls you? Yeah, I'm applying for a lot of things at Starbucks. I'm like, okay, I guess this is, you know, this is a new thing in my life. I'll just be making coffees and famous people walk in there and I'll make one hell of a latte. And but yeah, I will, That's going to uh, be my break. That'll be my break. <laughs> my, my second break. <laughs> and uh, this is God obviously wants me as humble as they fucking come. And this yeah. is, uh, thank you, God. Uh-huh. I really... I will just go become a nun. Yeah. And then Bruce said, um, so I put all the applications in. Bruce said, can you come down to Florida? They want to audition you. I'm like, Bruce, I can't even pay my rent right now. It's like, oh. Well, they don't usually accept comics, especially, you know, you're a woman. They don't know you. And I'm like, I just got to get at Starbucks. And then he said, uh, this is strange. This was a day later now. This was literally a day later. He goes, um, you know what? Twelve people saw your your drinking set, and um, it's edgy. You got the ship. One word of advice: don't fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and that was three and a half years ago. The drinking set. That was about what? That was about drinking. Just say my friends tried so many interventions with me. I just oh, so used to honest. leave the plastic so folding chairs yeah. set up in a semicircle in my apartment. They came over. <laughs> so you've been doing ships for a few years. A few years. Then I started back with the acting. Um, then I just finished doing the vagina monologues. Great. I started to go back with the acting. I started to do yoga. I gave up smoking. Gave up sugar, weed, and flour. Wow. Basically, well, I'd kind of given up sex, but that was just you can't meet anyone in New York. Uh-huh. We're all gay. And I mean, I love they? gay guys, but they're all, you've been yeah. to New York. Uh-huh. A lot of pretty women, a lot of gay guys. Really? You mm. can't meet anybody in New York? On the entire well, island, you, anywhere. I try. All right. Where are you living? 28th and 8th. Mm. Well, I'm very happy for you. It's a, a very great uh, conversation. I'm all choked up. I'm so, so amazing. Like, I listened to all your podcasts. And I was like, God, I hope I'm good. He's so good. <laughs> what are you talking about? You made my week. Oh, like, good. you made my month. Good. Well, I'm so happy you're okay. You're wonderful. You are. That was a great story. I really enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoyed being here. That was some story. Huh? Great to talk to her. I'm very happy we did that. I feel like we we needed it. I feel like it was... uh, I I don't know. There's just some people you're like, how's she doing? And that's how she's doing. And she's doing okay. And it was great to see her. Um, I'll play a little guitar. It's just the same guitar.
It's all self-contained, so you'll never have to do any installing or upgrading. But if you do have a question, Squarespace is award-winning 24-7 customers. Cunt! But if you do have a question, Squarespace... Oh, you fucking ball sucker. But if you do have a question, Squarespace is award-winning 24-7 customer... Oh, no, no. Oh, no. 